I saw this list this week while I was studying. I thought it was good. It's the list of the world's thinnest books. In other words, they don't have much content. Here's the title of the world's thinnest books. My wife will like the first one. The first one is entitled Northern Hospitality. <laughs> I'm going to get in more trouble, so that's okay. The, sec the second one is called Female Driving Heroes. But you'll like this one. Wait, you'll like this one. The next one is Intelligent Things Men Say. The next on the list of, of, of uh, world's thinnest books is Bin Laden's Tips on Personal Hygiene. Next one is Things I Can't Afford by Bill Gates. The next one is dated a little bit, but I think most of you in here, we're, we're a little dated too. So Dr. Kevorkian's Collection of Motivational Speeches. And the last one is the Amish Phone Directory. What in the world does that have to do with the discipleship challenge? And um, as, as we'll read in these two sections today, Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 10, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open your Bible to those passages. We'll read in just a second. If you read the context of the passage that Jesus begins to teach about discipleship, in that context, you'll find that, you know, uh, Jesus had been with the disciples when he fed the 4,000. Then, um, you know, he got into the, uh, the boat and sailed over uh, the Sea of Galilee. And, and um, the, he gets out and the Pharisees begin to question him and test him. Then he, um, the, they want a sign. And then the, um, after that, the... Uh, uh, they went to Bethsaida, where the blind man is healed, and then Jesus asked Peter with the disciples there, he said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Great confession of faith. And uh, Jesus said, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but you, you got that from heaven. You got that from God. That confession is what I build my church on as opposed to those who would say, I'm gonna build my church on Peter. That's not what he said. Um, but anyway, that's a, another lesson that for another time. And then he begins to talk to the disciples and he calls the crowd together. And he starts to talk about discipleship. Now, I, one of the world's thinnest books at this point would have been what the disciples knew about discipleship. It's funny that the disciples, what they knew about discipleship. But anyway, they, and I'm not trying to criticize the disciples. That's not my point. My point is in their growth, they, they wanted to follow Jesus, but they had not reached a point where Jesus, Jesus knew, of course, he knows our hearts and our thoughts. He knew that they, they, they didn't get it yet. He knew they would get it, and you'll see that in a moment when we read it. But in, this, in these two passages, in Mark chapter 8 and uh, verse 34 through 38, 
in chapter 10, verse 35, uh, verse, uh, 35 to verse 45, Jesus talks about the discipleship, and he says it, uh, he teaches about the cost of discipleship in verse 34 and 38 to 38 in chapter 8. And then he goes on and talks about the character of Jesus' disciples. Now, we're going to spend almost all of our time here mentioning it, really just two words, important words, but two words in that text. And the character or the conduct of disciples. Now, if you're if a good majority, and some of you are not this way, but a good majority of you are like me, you grew up in churches that taught about discipleship. And I still feel that I don't know much about discipleship. Just when I think I'm getting there, I realize that I, I may not be quite the disciple or follower of Jesus that I think I am. Because I go back and review what Jesus said about it and realize that I've, I've got work to do. But let's, let's be clear this morning as we briefly study these two passages what Jesus said about discipleship. He was very clear. He begins this discussion in chapter 8, and so turn there to verse 34, and I want to read that, and you can pick out real quickly what he, he outlines it in the, in the, very first, um, the very first verse. In verse 34, chapter 8, Jesus is speaking. He summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, number one, take up his cross, number two, and follow me, number three. Whosoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit it, his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So obviously this thing of discipleship is, is fairly serious because we're talking about eternity here. And you'll see in a moment we're talking about eternal rewards or eternal loss. He begins and says it in, in such clear words that to be a disciple we must deny ourselves. We must deny ourselves. We must deny ourselves. Now I thought about that. What does that mean? And there's so many different people have so many different thoughts on this but here's what I, after all the things that I read and thought about here, I wrote down what I really feel that he's speaking about in just a couple of sentences. I believe it's embracing God's interest and denying self-interest that conflict. So we have these interests of our own that we want to pursue and sometimes those interests are in conflict with what God wants for our life. And the disciple says, I'm going to deny that desire and I'm going to accept God's desire and will and plan for my life. And you say, well, I, I guess I, I messed up and I can't be a disciple because 45 years ago I knew the Lord wanted me to do this and I didn't do it, so it's over. And that, it, it, later on in the New Testament, there's much said about that. 
And it's a process of daily being a disciple, daily denying yourself and your own goals, your own agenda. It's saying, I surrender to your will every day. Now, the second sentence that I think says it very clearly, it's denying self. Denying self means to live as an others-centered person. Let me say that again, because it's sort of strange the way I wrote it. Denying self means to live as an others-centered person. All right, I'm going to follow Jesus if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And you notice there's, maybe it's just semantics, but I think it's true when you say there are believers and there are followers. And I think we, we try to follow daily. Okay, growing up as a, as a child, I, I was a Jones kid. My brother and I, we were the two Jones kids. No matter what we did, we were still the Jones kids. My mother and father, I'm sure, scratched their head many times and say, I just can't believe those are our children, that they came from us. But we were part of their family regardless of the bad things. And there were occasions, very few, but there were occasions where they said, I'm proud <laughs> to have them as my sons. <coughs> I really can't none come to mind right now, but I'm sure there, <laughs> there were some. And that, I was part of the family. But obviously I was not always a follower. I had to work on that. Now, I, I, I wrote down one that, statement that I think is important. A guy named Jay Brooks wrote in his book, it is to renounce the self as the dominant element in life. It is to replace the self with God in Christ as the object of affections. It is to place the divine will before self-will. I think it says it pretty well. All right, so that's the first thing. Then he said what? Take up your cross take up your cross. This guy named J.R. Edwards said this. Let me just give you the image of the cross. We, had it, we, we heard it in, in the songs and in the message today, especially the songs today in the service. But a guy named J.R. Edwards said this in his book, The Gospel According to Mark. The image, the cross is an image of extreme repugnance. The cross was an instrument of cruelty, pain, dehumanization and shame. The cross symbolized hated Roman oppression and was reserved for the lowest social classes. In Mark's day, Nero would crucify and burn Christians who were falsely accused of setting fire to Rome. You have to remember that the cross was the only thing about the cross that people during the day of Jesus knew that it was a means of executing people. Now, we've glorified the cross, and I would guess that, that many people in this sitting right here now, you, in, in this class today, you have maybe a cross around your neck, you have a cross on your, your bracelet, or, and we go into your house, you go into my desk, you see a little olive wood cross that I have sitting there that we got when we were in Jerusalem, and you see crosses in different places in our house. So we've, we've, we've sort of glamorized the cross, haven't we? Right? The cross was not glamorous. And when Jesus said, you have to take up your cross, man, I thought a lot about this. Because I've, 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 I've heard this as a kid. You know, be a good Christian, take up your cross. So I'm going to ask you, 
tell me what you think Jesus meant. What does it mean for the Christian to take up his cross? What does it mean? What? Yes, sir. Can we ask questions? Please. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Jesus is saying this, right? Yes. It's in red. <laughs> right. Okay. So he's saying this before his death on the cross. Correct? Correct. Okay. So he would be saying the cross is the death mode. So uh, take up your cross, die, and follow me. That's him. Yes, sir. Okay. You, is that an answer? Yes, it is. It has something to do with death. Okay. Because you'll, if you study the, the, the context right before this, he talks about his coming suffering right. and the cross. As a matter of fact, he does that three times in Mark. He talks about, he tells about his the passion, he talks about the cross, and in each case, after that, the disciples react by saying, where's my prestige? Where's my power? Where's my, how am I going to be recognized? So they didn't get it, which I found to be very interesting when I was studying it the last week or so and finding out that. Jesus is talking about his death, his coming suffering in a horrible fashion. So there has to be something in this take up my cross that is associated with death. There has to be. And something else too, several things, yes. So Charlie, so are you saying our willingness to take up the cross to, to die for him? Okay. That our willingness, our suffering, our willingness and our suffering to die for him. Okay, let's, let's stop right there. Okay. I, think, I think you're on to something really good. Now, there's, there's, there's physical. Death means several things. Death means separation, right? right. Separation from life. But when Paul talks about death later on, and he talks to the, um, uh, he says very clearly, it's part of discipleship, and counting the cost is to say, I die daily. So what would that mean in association with the cross? What does it mean to die daily for the Christian? What do you die to? Do you die physically? No. No, you don't die physically. He wasn't obviously wasn't referring to that. So I think Jesus is saying, my opinion, is part of this taking up your cross is being willing to do exactly what he said and suffer whatever consequences that may come because you choose to, to follow Jesus. But it also means a death, a death to uh, your desires, your will, your plans, and, and saying, Lord, today I want to do this and I want to do this, yet you want me to do this, so I'm going to die to that. I'm going to be separated from that. That's death to self. I think that's part of what that's he's saying. That's daily willingness to uh, Right, okay. right, right. Yeah. He is talking also about physical. I'll mention that in just a minute, okay. but that's good. Thank you. Thank you. When, when Christ you know, took the cross, he, he bore our burdens on him. Right. And I think from that standpoint, we have, um, through the spiritual gifts we have, we have a burden of things that we can do for Christ. 
and to bear that burden, to take up that cross, and in obedience do what he wants us to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else? What does it mean to you that we haven't said yet? Baptism. Yes, sir. Submission. Pardon me? Submission. Submission. It means submission. He said in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's out looking and 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 praying and he's sitting there like we sat at back in September a year ago and he said not my will but thine be done and he went to the cross right so it means submission dying dying daily taking up your cross means submission I said baptism has something that has to do with that too it's like you're buried and bab- right. And then raised in this life. Baptism, of course, is a you know is a picture. Baptism is a picture of the cleansing of our sin. It's not the cleansing of our sin. It's the picture. If I used to tell my, and you could tell Beth this. I used to tell my Church of Christ friends, there's not, there's power in the blood, not power in the tub. Okay. <laughs> so there's there's the picture of salvation. You're, you're buried with him in baptism, raised in his death, in the, in picturing the cross and his burial, raised in the likeness of life, raised to walk in newness of life in the power of his resurrection. So yes, it speaks of that as well. Allison? Are you acting the way Jesus would expect you to? I, I'm sorry, I, that's my wife. I can't Are you hear. acting in the way that Jesus would expect you to? Okay. So that's that's crucifying self every day. Yep. Again. Yes, ma'am. In, in a daily practical way for me is in my prayer life. And so I'm I will see, I'm praying my will, and I see how he works, the Holy Spirit works in me to twist my will, or not twist, to change my will right. by praying scripture to his will. And that's that in a practical everyday thing, that application becomes reality to me in my prayer life. Great. Is I'm dying that's to it. myself and it's just what you're saying. Not my will, but his will. Okay. <clears throat> Charlie? Yes. I think um, what I see and what I experience, especially today, is that our standing up for if we're in a group, say of people who are not believers and not <coughs> Doing things that should not be done, or saying that we have a hard time standing up. Well, not standing up for God is that's that's not taking up the cross. Right. We should always right. be able to stand up for what God would be doing, what Jesus would be doing. Right. But because of the the pressure, pressure, right. persecution, we think we don't have persecution, but we do. Right. We have friends who lie and say, "Oh." Right. You know. I'm going to mention that in a minute, too. So you've already read the end of my lesson here. That's very true. Okay, so so many things. But what I wanted us to do is I wanted to make it personal. This is a very personal message to his followers. Just as if he is uh, saying, Scott, you want to follow me? This is what needs to happen. You need to take up your cross. You need to deny yourself. You need to follow me. And what I'd already put down and we've already talked about it is taking up your cross obviously means sacrifice Jesus sacrificed on, on the cross that was a, it was a the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament were a picture of the sacrifice that Jesus made it means service 
and it means suffering. Um, I heard this Pastor Brady Boyd, who's the pastor of my daughter's, our daughter's church in Colorado Springs. He said um, he had contact with this. There's a group, and some of you would know this, and I can't remember the name of this group, that track, actually tracks the current persecution around the world specifically. His, this is what he was, uh, he, he, told, he said in, in one of his sermons that we listened to, this group that tracks persecution around the world stated that anywhere from 200 to 300 people a day across the world are martyred for Christ. Now that is mind-boggling to those of us in America that grow up where we don't, we, the persecution that we face is, as Jeannie said, it's someone shuns us or laughs at us or doesn't understand us or thinks, think we're nuts. But it does, there is real life suffering. There is real life. And you look at some of the places like Iran, like China, like some of the other places where this does happen on an ongoing basis, where the secret church is, it may be North Korea or wherever, that people still are dying for the cause of Christ. And he says this to the disciples because the majority of them will die for Christ and suffer for Christ. Yes, sir. I was just crunching the math to that. That's 73,000 people a year. Yeah. Okay. In verse 35, I'm going to move quickly because I'm a little behind today. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Okay, now he gets into this, it's a profit and loss statement. Mike, it's a P&L statement. We either waste our lives or we invest our lives. That's what Jesus said. You say, well, I, you know, next month I turn 65 years old. It's too late for me. I, you know, Moses might have had a problem with that at 80 when he started leading the children of Israel, right? Yeah. So it's not, but Jesus is basically saying, what are you investing in? Um, now, losing your soul here is not losing your eternity. He's talking to his disciples. This is found in many other passages where he's very clear, I think, what he's talking about. I think a life of discipleship means eternal rewards. <coughs> Rejecting discipleship is not the loss of eternal life, but the loss of rewards. I'll, I'll give one quote, and I'll go very quickly. I'd love to tell the whole story, but I can't. Many of you will know it. The story of Jim Elliott, great missionary in the, in the 50s, who went to Ecuador with his family and to the Aka Indians, uh, Aka meaning savage, and they were. They had never heard the gospel. Now most of them are converted. There's a church there and so on. But um, Jim Elliott flew in. Um, they thought that they had a greeting party and they had done some advance work and he and four other missionaries flew in, Nate Saint being one of them, one of the missionary pilots. They flew in and landed, thought they were being greeted, and they were all killed. Jim Elliott, that was on uh, January 8, 1956. Listen to what he wrote 
before he went to the mission field in his journal on October 28, 1949, very famous stating, statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was no fool, can't keep any of this, but he, he gave and gained that what he could not lose. Go quickly to Mark chapter 10. I'm afraid because of time I can't read the whole chapter, so let me just tell you what it says, and if you want to study it later and, and look further into it, you can. But starting in verse 35 of chapter 10, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. <laughs> this is why I'm saying the disciples on discipleship, their book is still a little thin. And they say, you know, he said to them, well, what do you want me to do for you? And what did they say? They said, grant that we may set one on your right hand, one on your left, in your glory. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 20 account, verse 20, it says their mother came with them too. I think that, that just, the Bible is sometimes is just amusing to me, isn't it? Can you see the mother say, hey, will you let my boys be, uh, uh, be on, uh, you know, be on, you know, be big guys in the kingdom? And they're going, Mom, come on, you know, don't ask that. But is that okay, Jesus, if we do that? And Jesus is saying, that's, that's not discipleship, folks. Now, what you, what you, what you asked about, what you, several of you commented on a minute ago, he said, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? What's he talking about there? What? Yes. The cross, the death, death that you that you brought up, the cross. That's what he's talking about. He said, "Are you able to do it?" What did they say? We are able. Yeah. And Jesus, what did Jesus said? The cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptism, baptized with the baptism which I have baptized. I wonder if Peter knew that not too long from this period of time that he would be crucified upside down for the cause of Christ. Jesus said, yes, you will. But he goes on. He said, I'm not going to, my kingdom is not about who sits on my right hand, who sits on my left hand. That's not, that's not what my kingdom's about. My kingdom's not about power like you are, are aware in the, in the Gentile world these days. That, that my kingdom's not about that. He goes on and he said, um, here's, what I, here's the two words I want to pick out. Verse 43, but it's not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you will be your what? Servant. Servant. And, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be what? Slave. Two words. Um, and the, these are two important words. They're used often in the Bible. Um, let me just write them down. And I have to look at my notes to spell it correctly because these two words. All right? Diakonos, diakonos, that's the first word that's used for servant. Diakonos, originally, that word meant those who waited on tables. Okay? Servant, diakonos. All right? So everybody going to learn a Greek word today. So the Greek word is diakonos. Say it with me. Diakonos. That's the Greek word for, um, for servant. The next word is the word doulos. It's a word for slave, all right? Everybody say the Greek word for slave, 
doulos. All right. Now, that's an important word to know. Why is that an important word? Because most of the time in the New Testament, that word is translated servant. They don't want to make it slave. I heard, it's funny, yesterday when I was uh, riding my bike, um, I listened to all these guys. I was listening to John MacArthur, and he did a whole exposition of the word doulos. I said, well, how fortunate that is for you, because <laughs> I'm going to pass it along. But not, you know, not with the same uh, ability that John MacArthur has. But he said, uh, he met with one of the a team of translators in one of the newer versions. He wouldn't say which one it was, but I have a clue. And he said, why, did not, why didn't you use the word slave? Why did you use bond servant and servant instead of the word slave when the word doulos is mentioned? He's, and he, got, he said he hem-hawed around about it, and he just said, it's, it's just too offensive. And John MacArthur goes on to say that there is the bondservant that we usually talk about when we talk about the word doulos is bondservant. Really, there is no word in the Greek language for bondservant. That's sort of an anglicized word. Because the word doulos actually means one totally owned by another, possessing no rights. So you want to be a follower? Here it is. A follower is someone that's following Jesus and to do his work is willing to wait on tables. But deeper than that, it's someone who said, I'm owned by somebody else. I have my rights. Not a follower. A follower has no rights because he's a slave. He's owned by another. So let me close. The summary, suffering before glory, suffering before glory, that was what Jesus is teaching about the cost of discipleship, suffering before glory. And, and really, I didn't say much about this, but if you think about it, how do we suffer today as Christians? Because, and Jeannie just touched on it, but we may not suffer, as, as you mentioned, we may not suffer, or Mike, as you mentioned, we may not die for the cause of Christ, as maybe many hundreds and thousands of people in the world do, but how do we suffer for the cause of Christ? How do we suffer? Relationships. Relationships. Rejection. Rejection. And on and on. It's real for us. The I wrote this down. Reject earthly gains that means disobedience. And making heavenly investments, heavenly investments. What's a heavenly investment? How can you make a how can I make a heavenly investment today? How can you make a heavenly investment today? With your grandkids. Sorry? Share Christ with your grandkids. With your grandkids. They're very specific. I can share Christ with someone today. How else can I? I can, I can help the poor today. I can give somebody a glass of water today in the name of Jesus. That's an investment. All right. Discipleship. True disciples reject self-centered glory as the way to live. And finally, true disciples accept sacrificial service as the way to live. So that's the discipleship challenge. It makes this challenge that Pastor Steve talked about pretty easy. Don't you think?
I want everybody to take one of these, and I want you to think about it. If I didn't get enough, and then I'm going to close. The Discipleship Challenge. 